Well, well, well. It's been a long time, St. Peter's, um, but it's great to be back here in a place that has been and always will be, uh, such, hold such a special place in my life. And I'm very grateful to Reverend Peggy uh, for allowing me to be here today, and also for Reverend Greg, who decided to skip the country when I came into town. Uh, honestly, sometimes priests can get really weird and territorial about this kind of stuff, um, but that's definitely not the case with Peggy and Greg. They've both been great, so I appreciate being here. And it's been a long time since I've been in this pulpit, and when I look out, I see a lot of new faces, uh, which is a great thing, and I see a lot of familiar faces uh, as well. And I can always count on Madeline or Jerry Adams to be on the second row here today. Um, but for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet, uh, I want to give you just a little brief background of my relationship here with St. Peter's. I was only a priest here for about two years. Uh, I came to work here about eight years ago, and I shortened ten years off my lifespan when we restored the Morgan House across the street. <laughs> but it was worth it, I promise. When I first came here to St. Peter's, I was fresh out of seminary and left Berkeley, California with my wife, who at that time had only lived in two cities, San Francisco and Los Angeles. And I can assure you, uh, it's not every San Francisco lawyer's uh, plan to meet a young priest and move to Conway, Arkansas. <laughs> but she did, and she's here with us today, and Julie can confirm uh, that she absolutely loved it here. Uh, we talk often and fondly about all of our experiences here at St. Peter's. But we are back in the Bay Area now, um, and I'm serving as the Dean of Students at my seminary back in Berkeley. Uh, but before that, I was ordained a priest right here in this church. Uh, my wife, Julie, was about nine months pregnant with our son, Oliver, who is also here with us today. Um, Oliver was born at Conway Regional Hospital uh, he was also baptized right here and officially became the St. Peter's baby. And any time that Julie would walk through the doors here, it was either Dee or Dinah or Hallie or Carolyn would snatch him out of her arms and give Julie some much needed rest. So when I was here, I was working with the amazing and beloved Reverend Terry Daly, which also doubled as having a personal pediatrician in the office which was a gift for first-time parents. Uh, but when we had to move back to California, my wife Julie was pregnant with our daughter Alice, who most of you have not met, but have probably already heard her uh, this morning. But Alice is here with us today, uh, and I hope everybody gets a chance to meet her. The one thing I do know is that I learned so much about ministry here from everyone. And I learned and took back a sense of, what, of knowing what real community actually means uh, and made many, many lifelong friendships that continue to this very day. Which brings me to the real reason that my family and I are here with you today. It's because today we get to celebrate the baptism of one of St. Peter's youngest members, Mr. Judah Garrett-Jones, sitting on the back row. He might be one of the youngest members, but my God, he is the cutest. <laughs> and I know that, saying that both of my own children are here as well. But my family and I are also here today on the invitation of Judah's parents, Christy and, Sarah, Christy and Sarah. They invited my wife and I to be his godparents, and we're honored by that invitation. 
And years ago, Christy and Sarah flew to California and became the godparents of our daughter, Alice, when she was baptized. And we met Christy and Sarah here at St. Peter's. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about how we met them here at St. Peter's. Uh, one morning I was preaching and they were a little bit late and happened to walk in and quietly find a place on the back row while I was preaching. And honestly, I didn't think much about it, but I noticed that as soon as the service was over, they were gone. Two weeks went by and I saw them again, sitting on the back row, and as soon as the service was over, they had vanished. The third time they visited, sat on the back row, I said, all right, I'm going to find out who these people are. And so I went to introduce myself to them, and I will never, ever forget the look that Sarah gave me. I was legitimately afraid of her. Uh, she, not joking, she had a look in her eyes that screamed, I do not trust you for one second. And so I shifted focus to talk to Christy, who didn't seem like she wanted to punch me in the face at that moment. And over the next six to eight weeks, we would continue to have conversations, and I began to understand why it was that Sarah had looked at me the way she did. And it was because they had experienced very real and very painful rejection from ministers just like me, simply because they loved each other. And so I remember telling them, you have every reason to be skeptical, but I hope you'll hang around this church for a little while. I let them know that their family was welcome and celebrated here without any conditions, and I said, if you give it a try, I think you'll probably, probably discover that you were led here for a reason. Now, I hate to say I told you so, but <laughs> I told you so. But it was the entire St. Peter's community that adopted them and loved them. And to me, that's exactly what the gospel in action looks like. And that was a long time ago. And a lot has happened in the following weeks and years since they snuck in and sat on that back pew. For one, Sarah is now one of my closest friends, and it's Christy who often looks like she wants to punch me and <laughs> gives me dirty looks. Uh, but some of the things that happened uh, in that time frame was that their daughter, Julian, also was baptized here at St. Peter's, and it was the same day that Sarah and Christy were both confirmed. I got to teach young Jaylee's confirmation class, uh, the same Jaylee who's now in college, which blows my mind. Uh, but Christy and Sarah also, over the years, have donated a great deal of their time and their energy uh, to things like the food pantry and serving on the vestry and countless things in between. When it was time to move back to California, it was Sarah who actually volunteered to drive the 2,500 miles with me in a 50-foot moving truck with two 60-pound dogs in the cabin. And it was one of the greatest road trips uh, of my entire life. I bought this cut-off jean shirt at a truck stop along the way, and mine had a giant airbrushed truck that said Road King on the back. <laughs> and so I bought mine at a truck stop in Oklahoma, and Sarah didn't speak to me for the next 30 miles because she was actually jealous of my, the shirt that I had. So I had to pull this 50-foot truck over at the next road stop to pick one up for her. And uh, Sarah, do you remember what yours said? 
freedom rider. I brought it. So. That was Sarah's shirt. I was Road King. We, ro we wore those shirts for the next seven days, and they were... I'm surprised we didn't burn them when we got to, to California. Uh, but it was a great trip. Another minor detail, I would say, that happened uh, along the way over the last couple years is that Christy and Sarah and Jaylee and Julian have opened their home and their lives to foster parents for 19 different children. Minor detail. But whether it was opening their home or their hearts for a week or a lifetime, in Judah's case, I can think of no more of an honorable thing to do uh, for children who are vulnerable and need to be shown a little bit of unconditional love. Now, their daughters, Jaylee and Julian, have had to make a lot of sacrifices along the way as well. It's not easy to bring 19 different vulnerable children into your house to have to share things in your bedroom and make adjustments along the way. Uh, but the way that Jaylee and Julian have handled this uh, and given of themselves is one of the most humbling things I think I've ever encountered. But it wasn't just their family. It was the entire St. Peter's community that had a lot to do with this. In the way that the entire Garrett Jones family came to St. Peter's. The way that this community uh, loved them back into relationship with their faith. It was the way that this community celebrated and encouraged them to participate in every aspect of parish life. It's exactly what a church should be. I think church should be a place of communal transformation. And it's a place where everyone can celebrate and experience the unconditional love of God. And with that being said, there are countless other families here in Conway that are desperately trying to find that. And I think that by recalling some of these stories and trying to paint a more panoramic picture today so that maybe people understand a little bit better that what you do here really does matter. I mean, what you do here has ultimate meaning, ultimate meaning, and it has the ability to transform people's lives. And I promise that each and every one of us probably know someone who's not here who needs to be here. And there's nothing to be shy about it. All it takes is a simple invitation for them to come and experience this place. Now today, all of us get to participate in Judah's baptism. And that's because baptism in the Episcopal Church is a communal event and a participatory event. Judah is obviously a lucky kid to have his two moms and his two sisters and the St. Peter's community to help raise him. Baptizing small children or infants is not, is not practiced in every faith tradition. There are a lot of faith traditions that put a great deal of emphasis on the need for the one who's being baptized to make a very informed and a very conscious decision about their faith. But from a theological point of view, in the Episcopal Church, we don't necessarily see it that way. We see it more as a communal event. Here in the Episcopal Church, godparents speak on behalf of infants or young children being baptized who can't speak for themselves during the presentation. And the gathered community as a whole makes promises that they will do all that they can to support the candidate for baptism throughout his life in Christ. And we all then join together by re renewing our baptismal covenant as people of faith. 
I can assure you, as a priest, I have participated in countless baptisms. And oftentimes, they can seem a little pro forma. I once participated in an infant baptism that had 30 guests who left the service immediately after the sprinkling of water because they were going to be late for dinner reservations. I'm serious, not joking. But if there's one thing that I know about St. Peter's community, it's that you really mean what you say when you profess your faith in support of young Judah. And it brings me great joy to know that Judah will be baptized here and raised in this community. This is the type of community that will consistently, over and over, throughout the years, show him what God's unconditional love looks like in action. And that, to Judah and to this entire community, is a gift. So today, in closing, I just want to say, on behalf of myself and my family, thank you all so much for the love that you have shown us over the years. And thank you for letting us come back to this sacred place. And thank you, everyone, for being a part of today in the life of Judah Garrett Jones. Amen.